0: This is the Financial Coconut Podcast, Singapore's first personal finance podcast network. My name is Rakesh and together with Anthony, we discover worthy financial news and derive insights for all you coconuts. We are part-time investors with an intense full-time career. If we can do it, you can too. So join us every Thursday for TFC Weekly Market Updates. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Coconuts. Welcome back to another weekly market update with me, Rakesh.
2: And Anthony. It's the day after Labor Day, the first week of May. Well, sell it May and go yeah. away, right? But, you know, <laughs> please stay with us.
0: <laughs> we are very happy for you to listening to us, To our, I mean, who are listening to us for a very long time. We've heard some great feedbacks and we thought we'd also reject the show. On here today, we have... Our very first guest in our new devised show, that is TFC Market Updates, Clifford Bennett. Hey Clifford, how are you?
1: Hey Rakesh, thank you. I'm very honoured to be your first guest on the new style of show. This is great. I hope I uh, say <laughs> some good things for you and your listeners. <laughs> Clifford, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm kind of a crazy economist down here in Sydney, but I've worked for investment banks around the world. So, you know, I used to work for BNP Paribas. I actually was in Singapore for a while, senior Asia strategist for FX and uh, in London and Paris a little bit. So. I'm a little bit of a global villager and I'm always interested in seeing something that other people aren't. And I like to call what I do, look out the window economics, where you apply common sense to what's really going on in the world. And I'm definitely not an economist who uses textbook theories. So, you know, the world's evolving and we have to evolve with it.
0: So we look forward to your views on on our topics today. Hopefully they are as crazy as you say. (laughs) All right, coconuts. Let's get right down to the stories. We're gonna talk a little bit on uh Miller shorting the USD as sole conviction trade. That's one we we can't wait for Clifford to, to rip that apart. I think that would be really good right up his alley. <laughs> we then want to talk a little bit on EVs. So BYD versus Tesla. Now, this is effectively you know one of the things we've always covered in TFC, and we're just continuing this storyline. So why not? For our first story, Anthony, what's happening with All the right. USD?
2: What's happening on USD? Is, is a long story, but I, I guess what, <laughs> what I found really interesting was really Draken Miller, right? And and for those who don't know, he he's this was that legendary, Le- really legendary um billionaire investor manages his own money about twelve billion worth, and he recently had an interview and he came out and said, you know, I have no strong convictions this year except to short the USD debt and to long gold. Um, as as the corollary of that, but that is literally as far as he. Benches in public, his only big trade, and that's kind of interesting, right? Because on and off we have been talking about the weaponization of the U.S. dollar over the past year as mm-hmm. interest rates hiked and a bit of the recent weakness. So kind of interesting to see where he has come from. And well, we have to put on board today, so I might as well get another expert's view to to see whether that is actually correct, or you know, if he has different views and goes, nah, you know what, he might be rich, but. He's not right here. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, Clifford, what does he
0: mean by sole high conviction trade?
1: Uh, I think what he's saying there is – and by the way, I was thinking of shorting the US dollar until I heard Druckenmiller is, so now I have to reconsider. (laughs) What he means is something he's really emphatic about. Like he's always looking for, as I am, something you find exciting and you really want to have a serious guy. You you know, you have a strong feeling this could be big. And then you develop various fundamental or price action analysis around that. And you go, actually, I could be right about this. And he's gone, yep, this all maps out. The Mm -hmm. problem when someone tries to get just one thing right, though, is that you actually run a higher probability of being wrong, because what Mm -hmm. happens in trading markets is Often the trade, or I think we're allowed to call people coconuts, is that right, out there, or your coconuts? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I want to be a coconut too. Can, <laughs> let me know at the end if I made it. Um, if you're putting on, you probably already know, if you're putting on three, five, or seven positions because you've kind of figured out a few different things. Say it's only three or four. Often the one trade, the last one you put on, the one where you go, oh, I don't really feel like I want to do that one, is often the one that has the biggest return. Because what happens is mm-hmm. we all think we're thinking independently, but we're all actually affected subconsciously by all the information on the market, all the news, all those sorts of things. And mm-hmm. if you're feeling like you should put a trade on, there's something inside you telling you to, but What you're hearing or what your brain's been hearing is telling you not to. And that's probably true of everyone else in the market. So, for instance, in this case, you actually want to buy the US dollar, but now you're thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't. It's probably the one that will have a big win. I wouldn't jump on that sole conviction bandwagon and, and Druckenmiller can sometimes mm-hmm. get it right and he can get it wrong. And also something for everyone to always be aware of. It doesn't matter how good a trader someone is, how big their name is, how famous, how successful they are. It means that they win big occasionally it doesn't mean they win all the time. And a lot of people yep. make the mistake of they hear the latest idea from someone and they think, go for that. One great example, fun example, it was a little bit US dollar related, but it was about gold. Several years ago, George Soros came out and said, I'm massively bearish gold, right? And he hit all the major me- news, financial media of the world over this one, two-day period. And on the first day mm. it came out, I wrote a quick note to all my clients said, gold because of George Soros now, like I did, and we went long and we, we did very, very well because that's not true of Miller here, but just to give you an example, right? If someone like Soros comes out and says, makes this beat, like he's going to an effort to make a big call on a market it means that he's already well short gold all his bankers are well short gold all his fellow friends in the hedge fund industry are well short gold and i don't know if everyone knows how the hedge fund industry in new york works actually physically on the ground mm. there's like a two block mm-hmm. area two to four blocks and in that area there's over a thousand hedge funds that have over you know a billion dollars under management so they're it's very much a group think that happens. Same restaurants, same cafes. And when you're in New York and you move around, you actually see it. And they'll share ideas. You can often have the U.S. hedge fund industry, certain players within that hedge fund industry, going the same way on a market at the same time. And once that process is finished, you don't want to be the last person on board. So be careful when people are going out in the headlines. So Druckenmiller, obviously, is already short the U.S. dollar in a big way. Yeah. And all his friends are, and his bankers are, and all his hedge fund buddies are. So they're already massively short the US dollar. Now, I see the US dollar as perhaps having a 10, 15% decline, but that might be over a few years. Right now, the US dollar could strengthen, and we know there's lots of geopolitical tensions about.
2: No, I mean, I totally agree with you. By the time he's he's come out and said this in the news, he has made the the. He has squeezed the bulk of the juice on the trade, right? And, and now he's just, you know, getting the last few drops before exiting a trade. But I kind of wanted to explore the mechanics a bit more in terms of we don't take his words at face value. He's done mm-hmm. or he's nearly done with the trade. But what else is next, right? Are mm-hmm. we relatively confident or are you relatively confident that there is maybe room down in, in the next few years? You know, short term price fluctuations aside or because there's the structural changes or something else?
1: Yes. Okay. So, we have to whisper everyone huddle in. The US empire is finished. <laughs> um, <no. laughs> All
0: right. That's that's pretty much public news here, but you
1: know, <laughs> you know so it the empire has peaked. It, it peaked around 2000, 2010 at the latest. That doesn't mean it collapses and it falls into a hole tomorrow. It just means I've often used the analogy the United States was out ahead of the pack. You know when you see cyclists on TV in the Olympics and everything Mm. and one guy goes right out into the league? That was the U.S. So it's not so much the U.S. is collapsing, although at the moment it's in disarray, but it's more the pack has caught up to that leader. So now, you know, in 2012, I gave a talk in uh, at APEC, and I, you know, forecast then in 2012 that we'd have three equal reserve currencies. And because we'd have three equal superpowers, the EU, China, Asia, and the United States, and that's diplomatically, militarily, economically. And you can say what you want to have happen, but this is the nature of the world. So it's always I try to look at things objectively. I'll I will forecast someone to win president even if I don't like them if I think the numbers point out. <laughs> so I think the US dollar had priced into it the world's ultimate reserve currency, the ultimate mm. safe haven. Those factors are still in the psychology of traders my my age, right? Because I'm thirty six, so I'm a bit older than you guys. Yep. Um so that was a joke by the way. Yeah. All okay. right. so, <laughs> there's still a lot of sentiment in the market. And if things go wrong in a way that is scary, there will still be capital flows towards the US dollar. Plus, one mm-hmm. factor that people often miss out on is that US corporations, if they see risk going up, particularly global risk increasing, geopolitical tensions they will bring a lot of their funds back on shore and that can send the U.S. dollar skyrocketing as well that's why in the GFC which was really a U.S. economic problem to begin with the U.S. dollar could be strong because of safe haven flows coming back by U.S. corporations So at the moment, I'm seeing a multi-year downside for the US dollar, agreeing with Druckenmiller on a lot of points. The other thing about when you get things out, I love the opportunity to say this, when you get hear things out of Wall Street, New York, they're usually based on two errors, but they can still get things right. Because the first error is they still think the United States is the center of the global economy, and it's one of the most important players, but is no longer the center. And the second mistake they make when they're trying to predict economics and markets is they think that people in Wall Street drive the U.S. economy, and that's not true either. So often, Main Street in the United States, mainstream corporations are actually smarter about what's going on in the US economy than Wall Street investment banks. So always pay attention to what the big real corporations like Caterpillar, et cetera, are saying about the US economy for a lead. But coming back to the US dollar, I I see this multi year decline. It could be 10, 15%, but at the same time, I see significant geopolitical risk short term. Now, I think the US economy is more dysfunctional than a lot of people admit it to be. The only, re- you know, when people say the U.S. economy is strong, I'm like, where? And they usually say the employment jobs data, right? But that yeah. employment jobs data fails to take into account, and a lot of people have, a lot of people know this, and some people don't. And that is that 2.6 million American workers have still not come back from COVID. In other words, they left the workforce or they've started their own business, which means they might come back in mm-hmm. two years' time. But that 2.6 million missing workers is why you've seen companies having trouble finding staff and the employment level looking so strong. It's a distortion. And when, then so if you take that to the side, all the other economic data about the United States is weak. I mean, we've just had the manufacturing PMI come in at 47.1, I think it was, 47.2, somewhere down there. And it's the sixth month of being in contraction. We've got, in the United States at the moment, you have housing, home prices, property prices are in decline. You have a hollowing out of some of the major cities. You have increased crime. The American economy out there in the burbs or, you know, across America, there is real emotional stress and people are self-medicating more and more with drugs, right? But you also have this fentanyl invasion, right? So we all have to be, you know, you just feel sorry for them about that, right? But the thing is, it's one of those things that says economics are about the society, and something's wrong in the society. You have political polarization. I'm saying things you already know, but it is very sad what is happening to the U.S., and it's happening for a multitude of reasons. And I think there is, you know, it's signs of the end of an empire. The United States will gather itself back up, right, in coming years. It will gather itself back together and it will be a strong economy again. But that could be two, three or even six years from now.
0: Um, so if I could just distill that down, right, what you're effectively saying is, I mean, coming from your economic point of view, there are different factors that are leading to effectively this sort of decline in the U.S. or in the U.S. economy, may it be an, an employment factor, a friction factor, a education factor, a drug overdose factor, a housing crisis together coupled with you know the interest rate rises that we have seen. So in the next, for, for our coconuts out there that are looking to maybe play into this market and, you know, and if they have investments in the U.S., it matters, especially if it's stocks because if it's going to decrease, mm. how would that affect their ROI? Mm. Right. So if we still this back, distill this, this back over the next six months to one year, mm. do you feel it's a factor for them to be talking about and putting that into their calculations when they're looking at ROI?
2: Or I guess to to complete that picture, is is it just really, you know, a structural factor that you, you take into account for mm. the longer term, right? So you you can have yeah. a forty year back test saying that S P averages eight percent a year. Because of structural issues, because of the, the decline in the real economy, because of the lack, the loss of U.S. privilege as the sole you know, superpower in the world, that might not be the case. The U.S.
1: has to go through a repositioning phase. One of the reasons the equity market could be supported for some time is the fiscal largesse. One of the things people haven't realized, like there's just so much money going into the economy from government and treasury and bank rescues just enormous amounts of money i mean mm. when jp morgan say they'll buy first republic they're getting a whole lot of guarantee you know bond guarantees from the u.s government's printing of money government. right so sometimes markets can defy all those negative things i spoke about and sorry about those negatives but because there's just so much money coming into the market all right. So it's there's a battle going on now, and that's one of the reasons why U.S. stock market is so volatile at the moment. It's a battle between an excess of liquidity versus some real worrying fundamental signs. How that plays out for the U.S. dollar is a little bit different, but just for you know our listeners, your listeners, for the U.S. stock market, I'd be very careful in coming days to watch how the market reacts to the Fed raising rates again. By the way, I believe there's zero chance, but you should never say that in markets, but a touch word <laughs> uh, that that the Federal Reserve will be cutting interest rates. They'll be staying high for longer. Inflation's way yeah. too sticky and way too high. Mm. That's, I mean, I always laughed when i heard will
2: either. they cut this year though
1: no not a chance they could even go and pause for three months and then hike again yep i think the whole idea if they've got here now they're going to cut to rescue everyone
2: is yeah that's not going to happen i think that that's markets being having wishful thinking and you know hoping that somebody saves their portfolio over the next few months. I think
1: you're quite right, Anthony. I mean, there's a lot in the market at the moment of people believing what they want to believe. That's definitely happening. And I call it a little bit of fantasy economics. So I could be wrong on that, but I have a very strong call that interest rates will stay high. But stock markets are about more than interest rates. And there's there's all this, you know, because when the US had this massive blowout in its government spending during COVID, everyone thought, okay, so that's for COVID. And then, then it'll come back to where it was. No, we're up on COVID and now Biden is increasing that level of spending. So the U.S. is in a real money printing mode at the moment. So where do we go for the U.S. dollar? I don't think these things will happen. But if you're trading the U.S. dollar, you have to be aware that other people will be scared of them happening. And that is unfortunate geopolitical tensions in Asia. And geopolitical tensions around Ukraine. Either of those situations, well, the situation in Ukraine, I don't think is going to go the way that maybe the West would like. So that could be seen as troublesome by markets at some point. And I also, I don't think Ukraine's going to be defeated or anything, but I think Russia will probably hold on. It doesn't matter what we, again, it doesn't matter what we want. I'm just reading on the ground what's happening. I think Russia will probably hold on to the territory it currently has. In geopolitical tensions in Asia, I have one extreme thing to say, which I'm not even sure. I've never said it before to anyone, so it would be a first here.
2: Oh, great. Exclusive.
1: Brilliant. (laughs) Um, I'll probably be writing a paper about it in the next week or so, but yeah. Right. There could be an accidental, we all know there could be an accidental military moment as, you know, people build up their military in the same region in two countries, right? But And that could spook markets very much for a period of time, but then they recover. We all know that China is a major investor in U.S. treasuries. If the U.S. had a conflict of any degree with China, what would stop Biden saying, we're taking all Chinese government assets? Then the U.S. gets out. (laughs) of this massive debt hole. So I don't want to talk about that too much because it's kind of a bit too uh, bold and scary, but that's got to have entered the minds of some of the people in Washington because they're crazier than me. So I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was just going to say that, yeah, you did You did bring the crazy on that one. Yeah. Oh, my- yes. that's, <laughs> I mean-
1: that's that's like out there. But well, all right, so what, what do I think is going to happen with the US dollar? At the moment, I think there's chance it's going to strengthen over the next one, two, four weeks. And that could be significant. So, may, But mm. after that, I would again be looking at selling the, the US dollar.
2: I mean, I, I thought it was really interesting. Uh, a lot of the macro actually sawed over my head um, because that's, I mean, I, I know I pretend to know more <laughs> than I actually know. Um, but you know, I, I think where, where what we was do really that, you know, useful. We all do that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, don't, I, but I thought what was really interesting. It's, it's really just, i mean one was you know the, the front running by dracon miller right he, he's done he's mostly done with the trade and and two is you know really this whole idea that structurally there, there is a decline and you know while there is a bit of a disconnect between the, the real economy and, and the financial markets that well at the end of the day gravity works right so so that is something to, to look out for and I mean, yes, history is not a, a guarantee of your know, your future results, but you know maybe we really are in a changing world, and we, we do need to look back at our own investment styles and all that with a bit more caution, right? Rather than just going, mm. oh yeah, it's S M P, it'll go up, you know, in perpetuity forever, it'll be great, and we can you know put all our retirement funds in that, right? I think that might actually slowly start to change, um, over well the next decade or so, <laughs> but you know, um, probably something yeah. to keep in mind.
1: In Singapore, don't forget how well-placed you are. So, for instance, I wouldn't be buying the US dollar mm. very much at all against the Singapore yep. dollar. You are beautifully positioned geographically. You know, your education level, everything about Singapore is world-class, right? And you're perfectly positioned to continue to take advantage of of asia becoming the dominant economic region in the world and that is mm-hmm. going to shift that you know you talked about gravity the, the weight of the economy is going to continue to shift there in fact For over a decade now, I've viewed China, Asia as the new first world, and Europe and the United States as the old first world. And I think using the term emerging markets is completely inappropriate. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's emerging markets in Africa and some parts of Latin America, but some parts of Latin America are also part of the new first world. So the new first world is characterized by big profit margins, lower taxation, lower regulation. The old first world, because it's been making laws and they just want to keep making more and more laws and regulations, is characterized by low profit margins, high regulation, and high taxation. And that's why the economic creativity and, and boom will continue predominantly in China, Asia, all across Asia. So if you're in Asia and you're investing, I would always look closer to home in the first instance at the moment.
0: Awesome. Thanks thanks for that, Clifford. Um... I think good, good insights there. And um, like you said, everything in Singapore is world-class, like it's podcasts. So <laughs> th- thanks, folks, for, for for a good story, Clifford. I think great great insights
1: there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass.
2: Uh, maybe after that we we should not focus on US just China competition as much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, I, I mean, I just thought it was really interesting. You know, we, everybody thinks about Tesla as like you know number one in, in the EV and. I mean, to me, partially that that's a function of our media diet, right? We, we follow the Western media more mm. than the Chinese. But for the past year, we have been talking again and again how BYD has kind of been surpassing Tesla, at least in terms of number of deliveries. So they both had earnings last week or two weeks back. So thought, oh yeah, no, might as well, right? Talk, talk about them again. But I think focus on BYD because, you know, Asia is the China is the economic center or the, the center of gravity is shifting at least. So in mm-hmm. Cliffords we went ours. So, so that's great. And we want to do more of that. So BYD, I don't know whether it's great or or fantastic (laughs) earnings, to be honest. They had a 410% growth in first quarter profit year on year, 80% growth in revenue year on year. And this is really, and just to set the context for this, right? They are already the world's largest EV manufacturer plus hybrids. So it's not small numbers and Mm. they are, well, surprising Tesla. Great. Um, so, so I think just to throw more numbers out there as well, they have the highest market share in China. They have the highest EV market share globally, actually, more than Tesla at eighteen percent. In China, they absolutely dominate. Right, it's forty percent EV market share there. Tesla is at eleven. We talk about Tesla being vertically integrated. Well, you know, so is BYD. In fact, they have seventeen percent of the battery market share in in China. You know, so to to me, like you want to play the and, and we have talked about this as well if, if the team is you know EVs and want you, you want to play that that team going forward well there's Tesla yes in the US and then maybe a bit globally but you know there, there's other competitors like BYD as well who are you know not so much up and coming as much as pretty much established right or, or as established as Tesla so yeah I did. just wanted some thoughts before we we talk more about the competition.
1: Tesla I've been a big fan of for a very long time. I think Elon Musk should have got the Nobel Prize for something at least by now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> BYD versus Tesla, it's, the game, it's game over. We can all pack up for the evening. BYD wins, right? Mm. So I said that I like Tesla and I like Elon Musk. but And when everyone, a few years ago, everyone was saying Tesla won't survive. And there were banks putting out detailed reports, massive reports, saying this is the best short of all time, etc. I was one of the few people who was standing up and saying, buy Tesla. So I think... Tesla and even Elon Musk himself said a while ago when it was up much higher than it is now of course that he thought his own share price was too high and he did that Twitter thing where he said should I buy or sell because he all knew because he, he, he wanted to sell anyway but he just wanted to get some press out of it so he's certainly entertaining because he speaks his mind he's very smart and he gets some things wrong too but he gets a lot right too but even he thought the share price was too high I mean they were worth more than VW and Ford and one other car company combined and and, you know, yeah. their sales level is nowhere near that. And so, okay, so everyone wants to value Tesla on how many EVs they'll make over 100 years, next 100 years, right? It's the company of the next 100 years. But I've got some thoughts on that as well. But I do think BYD is more diversified. And in a way, as you said, Anthony, more vertically integrated, but the rest of the world is only just discovering BYD. And they've, but that they've built such a strong market hold in China and are growing rapidly around the world, I think, is the main driving reason for Tesla cutting prices. So we know BYD is winning or Tesla wouldn't be cutting prices. The challenge both firms face, though, is as the previous big names in automobiles get very good at making EV vehicle, uh, EVs, they have the advantage of being very mature, very sophisticated, I like to say, carriage makers. So if you remember the old carriage, you know, the horses, the buggy, the carriages, who made the best leather seating the nicest looking carriages, all those features, the BMWs, the Mercedes, whatever car you're interested in, the Porsche, whatever, they're better at that than Tesla and BYD. But so that's something both those companies. Face as a challenge as the others catch up to their technological leap. But BYD seems technologically uh, at least a match for Tesla, if not better. And I think Tesla is overpriced. If you look at the two companies' share prices, let's say, you look, for instance, on a weekly chart, you can see that BYD has been volatile sideways, while Tesla has been volatile falling. So I do think mm. if you're going to choose one or the other, it would be BYD, Tesla. But you don't know if they're both going to go up, booming global economy, or they're both going to fall. But you could play across there, I think, buy BYD, sell Tesla. Nice touch. We can't give independent advice, all of that. But I do think BYD wins. And again, it has a little bit to do with what I just said before. EV vehicles, though. So this is the thing. In three to four years' time, buyers of EVs, and I'm sure there's a lot of wee coconuts who have bought EVs, just be careful on resale value. Because not only is the Tesla a Tesla cutting prices, but be careful over the next few years, it's going to be a more balanced debate on how good are EVs really. At the moment, it's all emotional, all euphoria and ride that wave. There'll be a leveling up here where people realize the electric motors only last six to eight years. So no one's going to want to buy, buy an EV with two, two, only two years to go before it's ridiculously, prohibitively expensive to keep going. And also it takes, some people say, six times the mining. So you can actually argue that they're not necessarily better for the planet, right? Because they actually need, because of their the battery, chemical resources, Six times the degree of earth dug out of the ground, mining to happen to create an EV versus a petrol engine. Now that doesn't mean you stop buying EVs; you only buy petrol. You have to go into this with your eyes wide open. And the other thing is, happened to a friend of mine. They they had a Tesla. They are a little bit regional Australia. They hit a pothole. So if you had a normal petrol engine vehicle, you hit a pothole, you change the, you know, the wheel got buckled, right? So it wasn't just a flat yeah. tire, the wheel had a buckle. You just get, you just replace the wheel, right? Easy. For an electric vehicle, because the electric engine is attached to the wheel, it took six weeks to re, to get it repaired. Oh, wow. So it, people are going to find there's practical issues with EVs. <laughs> and so I think mm-hmm. the very euphoric romantic attachment at the moment is well-founded in many ways, and will go on for another two to three years. But at some point, there will be a leveling out of people being so attached. BMW is already running a trial fleet of hydrogen vehicles. So they're already out there in Germany operating as hydrogen cell vehicles. So there was a time when people thought uh, everyone was sold, and it's only the older people that tend to remember this, that diesel vehicles were the only car to get to save the environment, right? Now we know they're incredibly carcinogenic, and some major cities in the world have completely banned them. I think Mexico City is, is banning them. London already has. So there can be things that are a big marketing theme for a while, which then... Drop away later, and if you're a automobile manufacturer, would you want to have everyone buying your electric vehicles because they have to replace them more often, twice as often as they do yep. with a petrol engine
0: car? Ah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you've brought in a good angle here in the fact, you know, of resale value, right? Which I guess Anthony, you and I actually didn't quite think about that three years from now. We were looking at more the earnings, so on and so forth, and the yep. upward trend. While I agree there is there, there's also that aspect of you've got to start somewhere, right, with EVs. And then as you see it, it will improve in technology and, and hopefully the length of what a battery will look like and so on.
2: But I think that's, that's kind of glossing over real issues, right? Because then at the end of the day, you know, yes, sure, engineering improves as they, they have improved over the past 10 years. But, you know, is it really green? Um, are they really going to be able to sell as many as, you know, we are projecting them to sell, all of that it's affected so so sure you know there there will be technical solutions um one day they'll be as hardy and all of that but
1: Uh, one thing too just and i'll throw in how much power Mm. they require a lot of people don't realize to run an electric vehicle for one day uses the equivalent of the power of 10 homes so Mm. if you want every home to have an ev you need 10 times the power production that you currently have and that is a little out of reach for the time being
2: yeah, and if you want your grid to be green and all of it to be renewables, you're going to have even multiples of that, right? <laughs> because you have, you have issues of intermittency and all of that. So I, I think EVs, it's a real problem, right? Um, the, the marketing is, but I think where we are at is we have really reached a stage where perception has become reality, right? Where, you know, you think about EVs, you really, the, the color greenness pops in, even if, you know, that that's not the actual reality and, and that's a function of marketing, that's a function of a bit of media spin. But, you know, I think at the end of the day, as, an, as a retail investor, I'm um, not so much concerned with saving the world than and my own checkbook. Uh, but what I, I would say is, you know, having reached the stage of market adoption, you know, and, and we have seen this in, in various industries as they, they move up that curve as well. It's really quite difficult to stop, right? For, you yes. can have the best rational reasons in the world why there, there could be alternatives or this is really more marketing than fact. But yeah, they, they're, they're just could be a lot more and if there's a wave to ride maybe as a more short to medium term you know trader it's it's something to write right and talking purely about you know my returns rather than saving the earth (laughs) that that might be the way to 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 approach it
1: um I, i i totally agree that people should continue to ride the wave that there's plenty of upside in mm. the value of BYD stock. There may well be plenty of upside in Tesla stock. It's just at the moment I have a short position, but definitely they're going to be selling more vehicles, and they're going to remain very efficient manufacturers. Both of them. You know those results you just saw for BYD already a large company yet getting result gro- results growth that sound like a new startup. So
0: 400% is crazy. (laughs)
1: Yes. Tremendous upside there. I'm just thinking two, three, four, five years from now and just throwing it out there because I wouldn't want people to just keep leveraging up into those stocks. At some point, there's going to be a different style of debate around electric vehicles. And I think to to
0: bring it back to Clifford's first point as well, Anthony, I remember I, I was telling you of a friend that was a Tesla head, right? He loved it so yep. much. He bought one and he recently sold it and bought an M50 BMW, yes. right? An EV. And the first thing he said was, I don't miss my Tesla at all. This actually feels like a car, right? Oh. Those were the two things wow. that he said when he sat in it. And that brings up that point of, you know, these guys, the BMWs, the Volkswagens, the Audis, they have been in this business for very, very long time. And they know what it is for you in terms of the driving experience. So that will definitely come into play with BYD as well. As of course, as well as Tesla, right? But if we compare it, how can BYD stack up against them? Is it just a purely a cost matter? Right. Obviously that matters a lot. Or can they sort of beat out their market and become the next big player just like a Volkswagen?
1: Everything comes in stages, doesn't it? It's it's yep. you know, first of all, they're highly competitive on technology and price. But as long as they're building up the other abilities to come online in two, three years' time, that they're also great carriage makers, it also feels like luxury thoroughbred vehicle, then that can happen.
2: Yeah, and I think, you know, you already see signs of BYD kind of moving in that direction, right? I think um in the last Shanghai Auto Show, which is the, the largest trade show for, for vehicles in China, actually, they were the ones who announced the largest range of new vehicles coming online. So they are, you know, BM has like 357 and then they ended up with 124 and X and M and all of that, right? So, you know, you, you kind of see BYD slowly building up that slate instead of, well, S3XY in, in Tesla. And I think... um He's isn't he? Yes,
1: <laughs> is, is. yes. he does it knowing that it's ridiculous. Like he, he's not thinking it's clever. He's thinking this is the stupidest thing ever, but, gee, it's fun, you know? <laughs> It's yeah. like when you launch yeah. one of these cars to go to the sun on a space rocket. Mm. you know
2: it's, yeah. it's publicity right I, I think no, no no publicity is bad mm. publicity um it's probably etched on his mental piece um, so 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 there it is. Sorry, yeah, yeah you but saying you know I, I think you know, you kind of see signs of BYD you know moving in that direction right as they start launching new models as they try out different price points different markets mm. you know I think they have 150k USD sports car coming up with like seagull wings and all that um, which is which which looks really cool you see them trying to build that expertise up now that you know they they have kind of got the basics of being an ev up and you know as Clifford said exactly right you know it's a stages thing right whether it's you're a traditional you know automaker who has all these soft aspects down but now need to build a hard product or you are you know tesla or byd kind of already have a hard product now and now trying to build the soft aspects in and I think it's a bit of a question as to which approach is better and, and who wins. But, you know, we'll see. I think one point, Clifford, that you mentioned that I kind of wanted to pick up on as well was we were talking a bit about relative valuation between BYD and Tesla. But, well, BYD still has room for growth and all that. But to me, that is really just a relative valuation gap that exists because of the difference in, well, one is Chinese and one is American, right? it would be a lot easier for Tesla to sell into China than, at least for now, um, than for BYD to sell into the US. US you know, yeah. um, maybe not so much for Europe, um, which is why they, they are starting their Western expansion there. Maybe not so much, you know, in Southeast Asia and, and Asia, although whether we do want that many cars um, in, in this region and whether we have the road infrastructure to support it is a different question. But that to me justifies a lot of it, right? There just aren't that many flows into the Chinese or Hong Kong market to support, you know, BYD at a Tesla or Tesla-like valuation.
1: Okay, yeah, no, I see what you're saying there. I mean, I I was invited to give a talk in Beijing in 2012 by the, at the Cajun Summit, and I was invited to talk about future Chinese trade patterns. And the first thing I thought, of course, is why are you asking me? What would I know, right? But I think you know the, the centerpiece of my talk then was that China had become known "Made in China." It's cheap. Mm, and what yeah. I said in that speech then, the next phase is the move to made in China is a high quality product. And and that's increasingly being said. And we know that's true of a whole lot of products and yep. services across Asia. But you know, China's always the big example, and we're talking about BYD. But it I you know, I think that shift is happening. And I think Western consumers are noticing that shift as well. So it's taking time but I think it is a process that's already well started. Uh, so that could work in BYD's advantage further down the chat track.
0: Awesome. Thanks thanks so much, Clifford, for coming on. Um, but yeah, coconuts out there. And please let us know about this new format. We always want to keep learning and, and keep improving it. So as usual, hit us up on our socials and Telegram chat. And last but not least, a little bit of a plug, an announcement, right? There's this new investment program that we are launching soon. It's called Investing Clarity Program. Please go ahead, visit our website, drop your email so that we can reach out to you once we've got it all confirmed. Again, it's the Investing Clarity Program. We can't wait to get that started. So if you guys are interested, go to our website, reach out, and we'll get back to you. All right. From Rakesh, myself, Anthony, and Cliff tonight, thank, thank you again, guys. Thank you And for thanks, Coconuts, email. for listening in. All
2: right. Thank you. Bye,
0: bye, Have- See you. Bye, guys.
2: Luxury quality within reach, go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode with me, Rakesh, and trust that you learned something today. If you enjoyed the session and want to be part of the banter, join our community telegram group or follow us on social media. We also have a weekly newsletter to get a digest of the news we covered. To sign up, please click the description below. As always, we love your feedback, so share that with us at hello at thefinancialcoconut.com. Thanks and stay safe.